Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. process. Many of you know we're renovating and moving into a new old building, and uh, we were supposed to be there today, so I'd like to announce that the building is not ready for us today. Um, We've uh, hit some snags along the way. We're still waiting on some permits and some permission to do what we desire to do down there, and um, you know, anytime things don't really, aren't really working out the way you thought they would or should, which is a good, good amount of my day. I don't know about how your day unfolds, but I, I spend my time asking why, um, frustrated, feeling sometimes entitled to a day um, that plays out according to my plan. And I found myself this week and these last couple weeks as we've hit some snags, and I don't know why we weren't planning on it. I think anyone who you talk to about a remodel tells you it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much, um, but we weren't necessarily planning on that, and so I found myself asking the question, why, what's this all about, because I think there's a temptation and a tendency in us to resist when life doesn't show up the way we think it should, and rather than just resist what was coming our way, I just started to ask, God, what are you wanting to do uh, in us? What are you wanting to teach us as a church in this process? Our plan is not quite unfolding the way we thought it would. What are you wanting to say? And it sounds simple and it sounds elementary, but I really feel like what God's wanting from us and wanting to do uh, in us is he's wanting us to, to, wanting to teach us to trust him, to trust him in the process. And I know... Um, Sometimes I can get such a good plan that I forget to plan on needing Jesus. I can get such a good plan and he gets planned right out of it. And usually when you're in the middle of a campaign, when you're in the middle of a transition, when you're in the middle of moving into a new building, in the middle of taking ground, someone hops up in front and says, we can do it. We can do it. And the truth is, we can't do it. We can't. I've tried. I've been trying really hard for probably about eight weeks now. And if I could, it would have happened. And so I'm standing up here to say this morning, I believe that we're to trust Jesus. I believe that we're to trust him. We're never not going to need him. We will never have a plan good enough to not plan on needing Jesus I was reminded of this quote in thinking about this um, process of moving and transitioning. Um, It's from a commentary, and he's commenting on the story of uh, the feeding of the 5,000. If you don't know the story, there was just a few fish, just a few loaves, and Jesus multiplied those things to feed a large crowd. And this is what the guy says in writing about this story. I hope that it convicts you like it convicted me. It is not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our tasks. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accepted tasks that we think are adapted to our powers, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always in crisis and always will be. Difficulties, problems, lack of people and money, a menacing outlook, endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations. We are not just supposed to go forward despite these things. They are precisely what is required in order to move forward. So I really feel convicted to trust Jesus, the things that I do or the things that invite me to trust him uh, is prayer. 
I've had a lot of conversations about this building with people. I wish that I could say I've had a lot of those conversations with God. And I think that our prayer is us turning and trusting him, saying to him, we can't bring this about. You can opening our hands with what we've got, saying, God, come through. Would you work on our behalf? And then the other thing that I'm going to invite us to do this morning that invites us to trust Jesus is give. We give away the thing that we think most of the time will save us. There have been times where I've been tempted to think that if we just had more money to throw at it, it would happen quicker. But the truth is, is that money won't fix this problem. Jesus can fix this problem, right? So what we do when we give is we essentially say, God, we're trusting you. Money can't do what you can do. I'm giving away the thing that, the thing that I think is going to save me. I'm giving away the thing that I trust in. And I'm now trusting you to come through. I'm now trusting you to provide. And I'm now trusting you to satisfy me. That's what we do uh, when we give. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to pray. We're going to give. We're going to trust Jesus in those things. After one month, the good news is, is that we're very close to halfway there. We have $145,000 pledged towards the renovation of the building. We've got 155 left to raise. Of the 145 that's been pledged, 30,540 of it has already come in. So what we're inviting people to do, if you don't know, is the way we want to bite this off as a church is that we're asking 300 people to give $1,000. And I know for some of you, you can grab a few cards. The cards that we're asking you to pick up are pinned up on a cork board on your way out. But people are grabbing those as a reminder that they're committing to give a thousand bucks to the building renovations over the next 10 months. So we know that for some of you, you can grab a few of those cards um, and it'd be no problem. For some of you, you might, have to ha you might have to find a few families in order to tackle that. So have some conversations with some people saying, you want to come together and, and, and do this. So that's what we're doing. That's how we're biting it off. And we want to invite you to be a part of it. I would say at this point, like we get permission tomorrow to do what we want to do. Um, I would say best case scenario, we're in the building December 1. Everybody's ready to rock and roll. We're just waiting to get clearance. Worst case scenario, I would say we're in our new building January 5th, the first Sunday of the new year. That's where we're at. I'll keep you posted. I, don't, I, I get scared to even say worst case scenario because there's probably worst case scenarios than January 5th. Um, but I, I, I want to say, you know, thanks. Thanks for contending. Thanks for being flexible. Thanks for believing. Thanks for standing. Thanks for giving. Thanks for being generous. In, um, September and October were huge months for us as a church. And if, you're, if you've not been a part of giving here, what it is, is it's just an insane opportunity uh, to say with your money who you trust. It's just a really, really cool opportunity to say, I trust Jesus, I'll never not need him, and I'm going to throw myself on him. I'm going to rely on him to provide uh, for us. So if you're giving this morning, just your regular giving, uh, drop it in. If you're giving for man camp, make note of it. Um, if you're giving towards the building, uh, make note of it. I'm going to pray. We're going to receive an offering. Thank you, Jesus. Money can't take your place. Money can't save us. Money can't fix it. Money can't take your place. Thank you, Jesus, that a place can't take your place. It can't provide what we need. Your presence is our home. A place is not worth it. You are worthy. Thank you, Jesus, that a plan can't take your place. Otherwise, we'd probably plan our way out of relying on you. A plan cannot take your place in our lives and in this church. And we just say together in prayer and as we give, we need you. You're what we need. You're what we want. You're what we desire. You're what we value. And we, look, uh, we just love the opportunity to get to say that with more than our mouths. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, one more announcement as the offering is passed. Mary, would you come?
Mary is moving on. Uh, she will not be our children's pastor uh, this next year. Her responsibilities at the church were growing. Because the kids' ministry is growing, her responsibilities and the demands here at church were growing. She was up for the task. The problem is, is that her family is also growing. David and Mary are about to have their second little girl. And so they've made the decision, because ultimately Mary feels called first and foremost to be a mom. They've made the decision to go home. Yeah, all right. And uh, David and Mary are, are trusting God to provide. I, th I know many of us know, know this. As you move from, a, from two incomes to a single income, it can require you to trust. And so they're stepping out knowing that, you know, if what's growing here and what's growing there is going to ask her to choose, she's going to choose uh, her family. So that's uh, what they're doing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to miss her. Uh, I, maybe some of you are new. The children's ministry has close to quadrupled during the three years that Mary has been here. Uh, she works with over 150 uh, volunteers, and um, she's been incredibly flexible. She's been here looking after the kids when we didn't have an outside, um, and it was cabin fever downstairs, <laughs> coos on a weekly basis. <laughs> Uh, serving here before we had two services and then when we were having two services. So she's been flexible and she's, she's just served us really well. And so on December 8th, we're going to have a reception downstairs after the service where you can come. We'll have some refreshments. You'll be able to thank Mary. And more importantly, we're also going to take an offering. Uh, we're going to give to them as they step out and journey forward together as a family we want to bless them and the decisions that they're making. So we're going to give um, our encouragement. We're going to give our thanks, and we're going to give money just to bless David and Mary for the way they've poured their lives out um, here at the church. And so we're starting a search uh, tomorrow for a new children's uh, pastor. Uh, it'll be a full-time position um, here. And if you or someone you know um, would make a really good children's pastor, We'd love for them to apply. On the city, we'll post the job description and a place to apply for the job. And we will close. Um, we'll receive applications until November 15th. And then after man camp, we'll be doing some interviews. And then after that, we'll hopefully be putting someone in as a children's pastor and letting Mary train them with the couple weeks that she has left here uh, at Radiant. So that's kind of what we are doing. So I'm going to pray. Would you join me in praying for Mary and David? Is David here? All right. Lord, we thank you for the way that David and Mary have poured their lives out here. We thank you for the things that we've seen, but we thank you for the things that we haven't seen. And we know that you have. I just sense your pleasure over David and Mary. I pray that they would sense it. I sense your well done over their lives. I pray that they could receive it. I pray that your presence would bring times of refreshing for them. Thank you for her willingness to serve. Thank you for her willingness to jump in. Thank you for her willingness to make other people's problems her problem. And to pour her life out for the church. Thank you for the type of people David and Mary are that just, they just find another spot to pour their lives out. Thank you that they're not done with ministry, that they're just shifting to something else that you're calling them to. Thank you for the way that they've um, shown us you, Jesus, and modeled a life of service and sacrifice. We bless them. We bless this process. Pray for provision from your hand as they step out and journey forward. Thank you for them. Amen. If you've got a Bible, you can uh, open it to Acts 17. 
we'll move from there to 1 Thessalonians 1. So if you want to beat me to it and don't want to go uh, on this initial rabbit trail, you can go straight to 1 Thessalonians 1. We're spending some time, uh, we're spending the fall talking about the vision and values of Radiant Church. Our hope um, in this time is to give you an idea of who we are, what we're up to, so that you can join us. Our hope in this time is to clearly mark the front of the bus so you know uh, what you're getting into, you know where we're headed and how we're going to drive, and so that's the whole point of talking about the vision and values of the church. Um, Different families are distinct in certain ways, right? We know this about families. If you're married, you really know this about families. Different families are distinct in different ways. And we've been asking ourselves, like, what's distinct about Radiant God? What have you called us to do? Um, What are we to value in particular? What are you asking us specifically to do in our city? So these are the questions we're living in. Different families, they like certain foods, right? You've been around this. Super partial to my mom's potato salad. There is no other potato salad in the world. There is only my mother's potato salad. Uh, Different families laugh at certain things. Different families have a different sense of of humor. Um, Mike was just telling me about how, I think it's in the young family, is that right? Cards have just turned to jokes. Like there are no serious cards. It's all one big joke. And um, I would say that families have distinct traditions around the holidays. That always comes up. We see that. Families vacation in certain spots. And they spend their money on certain things because they have different values that make them distinct. Church families are no different. We laugh at certain things around here. Maybe you noticed that in the video. Maybe you're sitting there going, where am I and what is this? In this family, we really like to have serious worship face. Thank God, send your presence. And then go right into laughing really hard. That's part of who we are. Part of what we value, what we like. Um, We talk in a certain way. Have you figured that out yet? There's like a certain kind of lingo uh, here at Radiant. You help me see this. I can't see this stuff, but you come up to me and you say, why does everyone say in my heart? What do you mean by that? You know, there's certain language that we use around here. And so, um, again, we're, we're trying to identify, well, what does make us distinct? What is God asking us to do? And so we're wanting to put a mission statement, a vision statement in front of you so that you can say, I'm into this. I want to be a part of this. And we're looking to enroll you into the family. So the big idea, the vision, the mission statement is that we want to behold Jesus and we want to put his brilliance on display. It all starts with seeing Jesus. We can't do the things we want to do without first looking to him and being changed by him. He transforms us just when we see him for who he really is. It changes us. So we want to behold Jesus. It's part of what we do. When we see him, We also want to put his brilliance on display. We want to reflect him. We want to be a radiant church because we're around a radiant Savior. We want him to rub off on us. And then we want to put his brilliance on display by living lives that are obedient to his word. Again, Jesus, our model for this, a life of perfect submission. We want to be surrendered to the spirit. Again, Jesus, our model for this. And then we also want to be wholeheartedly devoted to his mission. Again, Jesus, our example of this, he was the sent one, still on mission today. And so we want to do these things. We want to put the brilliance of Jesus on display by living lives that are these things, but we believe that it should result in some stuff. There's a so that or in order that. And what we want to see around here is we want to see the lost found. We want to see people find their way back to God. It's so exciting. It's so worth celebrating. We want to see prodigals come home. People who grew up in the church, maybe have experience of church, but have left and decided this isn't for me. We want to see disciples made, true followers of Jesus, true apprentices of Jesus, 
And then we want to plant churches because we think planting churches is the most effective way to make disciples. So that's what we're up to. And really the conversation that we're living in, what we're really talking about is like, what kind of church will we be? What kind of church have you called us to be? What will we as a church be recognized by? And this morning, I actually, it's a little departure of what's been typical so far, but I want to talk about a model church. I want to talk about a church that Paul lifts up and says, this church is a model for all the other churches. I want to look to this model church because I think this model church is modeling something for us. I want to be a part of a church like the one we're going to read about today. I want to pastor a church like the one we're going to read about today. There's some things that they were doing that I want to do. This church is in Thessalonica. It's a big city, an important city, and it was Paul's custom to plant churches. Remember, the disciples were never told to plant churches. They were told to make disciples, and they decided to plant churches because, again, the most effective way to make disciples is to plant churches. So Paul knows if he's going to fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples, what he needs to do is start local churches. So he would go to big cities, important cities. He would plant churches in those cities that would then plant churches out from there. So here he is um, in Thessalonica planting a church in three weeks. I can't imagine. I've been here uh, for eight years, and it feels like we're just now getting established Mark maybe felt the same way after 33 years at Savior's. I mean, this guy had three weeks, and uh, he had to leave. So I want to read out of Acts because it gives us the context, how this church got planted, and I think it's a really cool, um, really cool story. So Paul and his companions had passed through. I struggled with this the first service. Amphipolis? And Apollonia. And they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. All over the world. Love that. And Jason has welcomed them into his house, these troublemakers. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post-bond, and then they let them go. So here we have the planting of the church in Thessalonica. Paul's there for three weeks. He goes to a Jewish synagogue. He reasons with them. Some people are persuaded. Then a riot breaks out, and he skips town. So that's how this church was started. And now Paul is writing back to this church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. Again, remember... Three weeks with these guys. He leaves. He's got to be wondering, what is going on? I wonder if they made it. I could have used a little bit more time there. I could have used a little bit more time with them. I didn't get it. I wonder what's going on. He's getting reports of what is breaking out in Thessalonica, and he's writing uh, this church. So here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul writes, we're always thanking God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the first thing that Paul says to this church that has become a model church is that you're a model church because your church is characterized by three things, right? We know about these three things. Maybe you've heard these three things. But this church is characterized by faith. Your work produced by faith. Your love. Your labor of love. And your hope, right? Your endurance and your hope in Jesus Christ. These are the three things that he points out. And I found myself as I read this thinking like this is a great model for us. I want to be known as a church of great faith. I want to be known as a church who is working and, and doing the things that Amber's inviting us to do. But I want to do it from a place of great faith. And you can work. Your work can be produced by all kinds of things. Your work can be prompted or produced by fear just as easily as it can be produced or prompted by faith. Your work can be produced by a need for approval. Your work can be produced by a fear of disappointing people. I know there have been many times, late Saturday night, I'm writing a sermon. And my work is not being produced by great faith. Like God's going to do something. God's going to move. My work is being produced by a fear of disappointing a whole group of people who've given you 45 minutes of their time. But he says of this church that your work, the stuff that you're doing, the stuff that I hear about, the stuff that's ringing out, that's work produced by faith. You believe certain things about God, and therefore you're behaving based on what you believe. And it's evident by what's going on that what you believe is that God is able, and that's why you're working. Work produced by faith. Not work that's produced by a small view of God. You can actually work because you have a pathetic view of God. It's like he's not doing anything, so we should. There's so many orphans. God doesn't seem to care. Maybe we should care. Our small view of God can produce and prompt work. He's not taking calls right now. I guess I should. Well, he doesn't seem to be meeting these people's needs, so maybe I should. You can actually work out of a small view of God. You can work out of a, your work can be produced by a desire to control. Your work can be produced by an inability to rest and, and trust God. And these guys have a work that's produced by faith. And what I love in this passage, I don't know if you noticed it, but he said, you're a model church. And I'll tell you why you're a model church. Because you're a people of faith. That's what I know about your church. That's what I want to be reproduced. You're a people of faith. Notice what's not mentioned here. Because we have model churches, right? We have model churches in our city. We have model churches in our state. We have model churches in our nation. And we have model churches around the world. Churches that we lift up. And what do we hear about when we lift up these churches? What do we talk about when we talk about these churches? I'll tell you, because I talk about these churches a lot. We lift up their size. They become a model church because of their size. There is no mention of this church's size. They are not a model church because of their size. There is no mention of their worship. Oh, I just love coming to Radiant. I just love the worship. 
they've become a model church because of their worship. There is no mention of the worship team. I'm not just bagging on Sean. There is no mention of the pastor. There is, we don't know who's leading this. But apparently they're doing a good job because we don't get their names, but we do understand that they're leading a group that's full of faith. And that really is the measure of leaders doing their job. Is a group of people gathered who are saying God can do it and we're going to follow him. So, we don't, they don't lift up any of the things that we lift up. Hey, you've become a model church. You guys are pushing, pushing a thousand. That's amazing. Hey, you're a model church. You've gone to three services. I want all the other churches to know about this model church that has fantastic worship. It's a great style of worship, you know. I want to lift up this model church. You should hear the guy speak who preaches there at that church. None of it. This is a model church. I'll tell you what I can remember. I walked in and there was a people of faith, a people of great faith. He actually says, I don't even need to talk about it. I don't actually need to draw attention to this church's faith because it's going out everywhere. Everyone already knows this about this church. No one can remember the worship leader. No one knows who's leading it. No one knows about their building because they don't have one. But what they remember when they come into your church is that there's incredible faith. There's incredible trust in Jesus. There's an incredible, a tangible belief that God can do what God wants to do. That's what this church is characterized by. Therefore, I don't, Paul's like, therefore, I don't even need to talk about it. They're talking about it. They know you by this. You're characterized by this. I want to be a church. I want to pastor a church. I want to lead a church that is characterized by great faith. Where people come in, I'm not sure who spoke. Yeah, I'm not sure who led the worship. What I remember was a tangible expression from a people who were so hungry to see God move that I felt like there was a work going forth that was the result of great faith. The other thing, I love the, you know, the, the language when he says that it rang out from you. It is the, it's literally the sound of a trumpet. Your faith is making trumpet sounds in the city. It is declaring who God is. It's loud and everyone can hear it. They also have a labor that's prompted by love. I don't need to tell you that labor can be prompted by something other than love. Do I? You get that? That our labor, that our work can sometimes be a prompted by a sense of ought, a sense of guilt, a sense of duty. And uh, you know that, you know, I, I'll spare you the wedding passage, but in 1 Corinthians 13, it gets read a lot because it's that good. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we can do all kinds of incredible things, but if we don't do them with love, they don't even register. It's not like Paul says, hey, you can do all these things, and if you did them with love, it'd get a little bit better. I mean, that was awesome. If you threw some love in there, I mean, it would really frost the cake. It's like Paul saying, no, there is no cake. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't measure up. It doesn't, and so love is the standard for us. Are we doing what we're doing? Are we laboring prompted by love? You know, Paul, in this passage, if you read on into 1 Thessalonians 2, he's actually making a defense of his ministry to this church. And he's saying to this church, hey, look, guys, you know my message. You heard my message, right? You know my message. And then he says, you know my methods. You know how I was with you. For your sake, you know how I was living my life. You know my methods. You know my message, but in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, this was my motive, and this is maybe the most important thing, not my message, not what I say, or not my methods, how I do it, but my motives. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing for your church, and what he says to them is, I was with you like a nursing mom, and I'm with you like a dad. That's how I care about your church. My motivation for serving your church is like the motivation of a mother 
and like the motivation of a father. I came to you gently, speaking these kind of things, caring for you. And then I came to you also like a father, because you needed more than just what a mother provides. You needed what a father provides. And so I provided that. And his motive becomes really clear in 1 Thessalonians 2 when he says to them, like, look, I wasn't just ready to give you a speech. I was going to give you my life. I'm not just giving talks here. I'm not just being given a podium or a platform. I'm ready to give my life to you guys. That's my motive. He was laboring out of a love for this church. And he modeled that for them, that rubbed off on this church. And now they were laboring out of love. The other thing that we see, the third thing that characterizes this church, and the third thing that Paul points out, saying this is, this is something that should be emulated, this is worth reproducing, is he says, you guys have endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're steady. You're steadfast. Even in the midst of severe suffering, you're steadfast, Right? It says later in 1 Thessalonians, at the end of that passage we read, that this group of people is essentially a model church because they're waiting for the Son from heaven. They're waiting for Jesus. They're anticipating. Uh, Sean, a couple weeks ago, talked about what it means to wait on the Lord. And that doesn't mean you sit on your hands. Obviously, this, isn't, this church isn't sitting on their hands. There's a work going on. They're laboring for love, Right? When you wait on the Lord, you're anticipating, you're looking, you're waiting like a waiter waits, looking, anticipating, wondering when they're going to call on you, when he's going to beckon. It's that type of waiting that this church is doing. And essentially, Paul says to this church, you're a model church. You want to know why? You're a model church because you know that there's something more than this life. And your hope isn't just in this life. Your hope is in the age to come. And so you know that there's more to this than just what's going on right now. And so you're facing severe suffering, and you have actually, you have joy that's coming from the Holy Spirit because you know that these light and momentary troubles that you're going through will be outweighed by glory when the sun appears. You're a model church because you're steady. You've got hope. You know that it's not just this life. Paul, when, Paul, in his really famous um, summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if, if, if all that Jesus does for us is provide a hope for this life, a hope that you can be a better dad or a better mom or a hope that you can be a part of a community, if that's, if that's all that we get from hoping in Jesus Christ, Paul says, we are of all people to be most pitied. That's what, this isn't about this life, right? If all we have is a hope to become a better guy, we should be pitied. This church had become a model church because they were working out of faith and not out of fear. They were laboring out of love. It wasn't a sense of duty. They had sincere desire and they were motivated by love. They also had endurance. They were steady because of a hope that they had that this was not all there is. 1 Corinthians 4, um, just a fantastic Scripture, it's worth reading. Therefore, church, we don't lose heart. Because we have this hope, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. A group of people, a church, anxiously awaiting, anticipating, going like, yeah, this is severe suffering, but these are just light and momentary troubles. These will be eclipsed by the glory that comes when the sun returns. It's a model. So they were characterized by faith, hope, and love, but I also want to look at what what birthed this church, what started this church, and then what did they continue to do? What What did Paul model for them that continued uh, to go on even after he left? As I read earlier, Paul birthed this church, started this church, and shaped this church by coming to the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel. 
He says to the church, our gospel came to you. Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with the power of the Holy Spirit also and a deep conviction. As was Paul's custom, he went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So this church is birthed by Paul proclaiming the gospel. He says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. It's important to note as we look at this that um, when it says that the gospel came to them not simply with words, that it doesn't mean that the gospel came to them without words. It doesn't mean that words are unimportant. When Paul says it wasn't simply words, he doesn't mean that it was with no words. It's just that it was not simply with words. It was a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power as well. And I hear, I want to point this out to you because I want to say that I want to lead, I want to be a part of a church that proclaims the gospel. And I'm a little bit sick of the conversation that goes something like this. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And I know what someone means when they say that. I know why it was written, and I think it's valid. And what they're saying is that actions speak louder than our words, and that we can't simply proclaim something and then live a different way, that um, people read our lives, and that we're putting the gospel on display by the way that we live. I totally understand that. But words are really important. And I don't think we should downplay the necessary role that words play in making an announcement. That's what the good news is. It's a proclamation. It is to be announced, not simply with words, but certainly with words. Certainly we're to use words, right? That's like saying, hey, feed the poor and if necessary, use food. words. This is proclaimed. It's announced. Paul stepped in, and these are the words that are used. Paul steps in, and it says that he reasoned with them, he explained, he gave evidence, he persuaded, and he proclaimed. The good news is an announcement, and I want to be a part of a church. I want to lead a church that proclaims the good news, not just has a conversation about it. I want to declare it. I want it to be loud, I want it to be clear, and I want it to be announced often from our church, not just from the pulpit and not just with words, but both with word and deed. I was thinking about this this idea that the, the gospel by nature, it's an announcement, it's good news, it's to be shared, it's, you need words, and and I was reading, I was thinking about Philip, and and Philip was an evangelist, and he converted this Ethiopian eunuch. Um, I'll read the the passage to you. Don't go there. It's in Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he's sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit tells Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and when he runs up to the chariot, he hears this man reading Isaiah the prophet. And then this is what Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you understand what you are reading? He doesn't run up to the Ethiopian eunuch and say, do you feel it? Are you like feeling a burning, you know? Do you feel this, you know? He says, do you understand what you're reading? Because it's important that you understand. It's important that you get it. Now, here's the, the issue, right? I, <laughs> I, side note, rabbit trail. Here we go. Um, I, I met a guy um, in a refugee camp who's a part of an Ethiopian church, and they can trace uh, their church back to this eunuch. And I, I was like, wait, what did you just say to me? You know? I think I have this idea that Christianity is some Western idea that we're imposing on the East. 
the, the gospel went east long before it went west. And I was like, wait, what? You know, I thought I was going to say something to him. And he was like, yeah, I'm a part of the, maybe the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which traces its roots back to this eunuch who understood the gospel, went home and started something. I mean, it's just phenomenal. You ever, it, there was another guy, uh, one of JR's buddies from India. He showed up and he was a part of a church in India that traces its, its roots back to Thomas. And I was like, wait, what? Thomas planted your church? Like, you can have Thomas plant your church or Travis plant your church. I'd take Thomas. The gospel went east long before it went west. It's not a western ideal. I don't even know where I'm at now. Yeah, so, so here's the issue, though, and I, I think this genuinely is a problem, is it's not simply words. If the whole deal stays north of the net, you're missing it. Because it came to these people with a demonstration of the Spirit's power and a deep conviction. This was not just something they understood. It was something that they felt with a deep conviction. So as I talk about the importance of proclaiming the gospel, doing it clearly, doing it passionately, you need to know that I'm not saying that we don't also need a deep conviction or a feeling or a sense that God's speaking to us, that we would be cut to the heart when we hear the gospel. The, it, um, any, any place where the gospel is spreading like wildfire, it's spreading because it's going forth in proclamation and demonstration. It's not just being said, but there's a, a witness, a testimony to what God is doing. And it came to these people. It wasn't just in word. It, it was words. It just wasn't simply words. The Holy Spirit also came in power, and there was a deep conviction for them. So the gospel was being proclaimed, and it should be proclaimed, but it was also being demonstrated, not just by signs and wonders, but even the way Paul was living his life was a demonstration of what was being proclaimed. Our gospel is not our gospel. Roman, Romans calls it the gospel of God. The gospel is God's gospel. And he himself will bear witness to the truth of the gospel. So here's Paul persuading, trying to enroll people. But the truth is, it's not Paul's gospel, it's God's gospel. And he himself will bear witness to the truth of his gospel. Hebrews 2 says this, that God testifies to it, testifies to the gospel by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So it's not just proclaimed, it's not just announced, it's backed by God himself. There's a demonstration of the power of God. He bears witness to his gospel. And this is the truth. I want a church. I want to lead a church. I want to be a part of, the church, of a church that announces the gospel, but doesn't just proclaim something. I don't want it to just to be a proclamation. I want it to be a demonstration that God himself would back up his gospel. I love Paul's uh, famous passage in 1 Corinthians. It says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I wasn't using careful words. I wasn't actually even being all that precise. They were not with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The other thing that was demonstrating the gospel to this church, the thing that rubbed off on them, and the thing that was enabling them to do what they were doing in their region, was that Paul was saying, look, you know the way I lived my life. Okay, I, I proclaimed this, this message to you. I also, it was backed up with signs and wonders. It was demonstrated. But then we, we ate together. I wasn't just a man of God bringing a word and doing a miracle. Like, you know how I was with you. You watched my lifestyle, and it was also a demonstration of the gospel. 
this obviously rubbed off on this church that, again, was working out of faith, laboring out of love, and enduring with hope. They saw it. They saw Paul proclaim the gospel. They saw him demonstrate it, and then they saw him live it with a lifestyle. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be a part of. It's the church that I want to lead. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I think the other thing that um, struck me as I looked at this church and thought, this is a model church is that they had the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit in severe suffering. Let me explain how I think that this works. Jesus is about to leave. He's about to leave his disciples. They don't want him to leave. Jesus is saying, it's better that I go. If I don't, the comforter won't come. The helper won't comfort, or the comforter won't come. And then Jesus says to them, this is what he says, I will come to you. I will come to you. I'm leaving and I will come to you. The helper will come and he will be with you and he will be in you. You will experience my presence with you. Can you imagine? Again, it's like he's getting ready to leave and the disciples are probably going, you can't leave. This whole thing hinges upon you. You're our miracle working leader. You cannot leave. And he says, don't worry, I'll send you another helper. He'll be with you and he'll be in you. Sure enough, the Holy Spirit falls on the church and now they leave and they're doing the exact same things Jesus was doing. But instead of it coming just through Jesus, it's spreading out all over the place. Healing, deliverance, the gospel going forth, all going forth because of the Holy Spirit in them, right? So this is, I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. And I don't know about you guys, but nothing comforts quite like presence. I mean, I was gone three weeks ago. I left my kids. And, and, and it's like, I don't, I don't want to text. I don't want a phone call. I don't want to see another Instagram. This is actually making it worse. What I want is my wife to be here. I don't want to be in another conference session. I don't actually know what I want from my wife or what I want from my kids. But you long, you ache, what you want is presence. And presence brings comfort. And this is how the Holy Spirit comforts. Is he is the very presence of God. And you know it. If you're here and you've lost a loved one, you've lost someone significant to you, you know that memories don't cut it. You know that pictures or stories don't cut it. You know that gifts don't even cut it. Forget the story. I mean, forget the gifts of the Holy Spirit for a second. The gifts are just something that comes with his presence. It's like we want the power, we want the fruit, we want the love, we want the gifts. It's like, no, we want you. And when you come and when you're present, we get all those things. Fruit, gifts, love, power, all that stuff comes with your presence. Holy Spirit, we want your presence. And we're told over and over again in Scripture that when you experience God's manifest presence, you get joy. That's what you get. In His presence are pleasures forevermore joy so here these people are in the middle of severe suffering i don't know what that means i can guess that it's probably harder than the stuff that i'm facing in the middle of severe suffering they're getting joy from the presence of god joy in the holy spirit so here this church is they're characterized by faith laboring in love enduring in hope they're proclaiming the gospel, they're demonstrating the gospel, and then they're enduring severe suffering with joy because they've got God's presence. And ultimately, the result of all of this, right, is that people are converted. They turn away from worshiping idols and they start to worship the true and living God. They start turning they start serving they start waiting on the lord and this is really profound because i think if i if i get it right i might not be getting it right but paul lifts up this model church and says you're a model church because you're doing all of these things and the result is that people are converted not other christians are coming to this model church people are turning I mean, there are no other churches in Thessalonica. 
It's not like you got to see it. It's unreal, right? There's this and there's this. And so now other Christians come from other churches to be a part of this model church because they're doing it slicker than everybody else. No, that's not the result of them doing what they were doing. The result of them doing what they were doing is that pagans were converted. People who were worshiping idols started turning, started serving, and started waiting on the Lord. And this is my desire. It's just a church. Uh, it's what I want to lift up this morning as a model church, a group of people working out of a faith, a group of people laboring because of love, enduring because of hope. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to do it with words. I want to do it loud. I want to do it clear, and I want to do it passionately. I want to do it justice. I want to reason with people. I want to explain stuff. But ultimately, I know that that's not it. We need the Holy Spirit as well. We need power. We need God himself to testify to the truth of his gospel. And then I want to live lives that are attractive and appealing to people. Not just proclaiming the gospel and doing miracles, but just being with people, eating with them. Hang, you know how I was. I want joy in suffering. I want to experience the presence of God together as a church. And ultimately, we know that these things will result in people being converted, coming to faith in Jesus, not coming from other churches to a model church. If you've come from a, another church, I'm glad you're here. Join us on mission. Join us on a mission. Let's stand. Would you grab hands with someone you're standing next to? Thank you for this uh, picture, God, and your word of a church um, worth looking to. And I want to ask... Um, that a great work would go forth from Radiant Church and that we would work from a place of great faith, that we would be known in our community, not as a certain type of worshiping church or a certain speaker or a certain place or, um, you know, anything that we usually describe churches by, but that we would be known as a people of faith. Like I walked in and it was just like they were after God. That's uh, what I'm praying for. Lord, I pray that our labor would again be connected to love if we're doing things. Uh, for any other reason, we want to tap into love, let it motivate our hearts. Help us to endure with hope. We want to look forward through these um, severe sufferings. We want to receive the joy that comes with your presence. Pray, God, that we could proclaim the gospel, proclaim your truth clearly in a way that would connect with our audience. We pray also for a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power a proclamation that's backed up with a demonstration of something only God could do. Pray also that we could live our lives in an attractive and appealing way. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to do this. We need your presence, more of your presence, more of your power, more fruit coming from our lives, blessing the community that we're in. And we pray, God, I pray for many people to get saved. This isn't about just becoming the best church we can be or anything like that. We want to be a reflection of who you are to the community that we're in. Pray that people would be converted. Pray for people all over the city to turn from worshiping things that aren't worth worshiping. And we pray that they would turn to worshiping the living God. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of it. Thank you for the stuff that's going on in here. Continue to mobilize us as a church. Take us deeper. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.
grave divide. 